Hello, how you doing? This is Richard Barnes. This interview was recorded at the Martial Arts Exhibition in Coventry, October 2013, and was part of the Martial Mind Zone. It was an opportunity for me to find out a little bit more about the guests, what got them into martial arts, and what they had learned on their journey. This interview is subject to copyright. For more information, visit richardbarnes.com. Okay, so without further ado, it's time to chat. Hello, I'm Richard Barnes at the TMAX conference. It's Saturday and I'm sitting with Steve Rowe. And uh, it's lovely to see you again. <laughs> Thank you. So, I've come unarmed. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, I, I should say that <laughs> seeing you has been a pleasurable experience on the first time because you're kind enough to treat me to a bit of dinner. And that was very nice. And then we had a chat. And the second time I saw you in person, you shot me. Yeah. Um, I like to think, you know, in the yin and the yang of things, that I had the pleasure with the dinner, and therefore I was due for the nasty side of things. So. You make a nice target. Thank you very much. <laughs> Do you know what? I may start walking sideways or something when I come in. Um, what are you doing here? Uh, we did a seminar, and the seminar that we did was um, a, a grappling, but it was more Chinese-oriented, so it was uh, uh, chin na. And the, we, we, we covered the trapping from all the wrist positions on a circle. So we took a circle going around one way, a circle going around another, and the different points that you could trap someone's arm going around on either of those. We did some little pushing hands drills on them as well. And then we did some silk, silk reeling um, work as well. Uh, and then we went into, took that into some locks and so on from there. So yeah, it was good fun. So forgive me, because I've chatted to you before, before and. Um I want to go over this again. You just talked about doing a seminar of what you've done. Mm. Um, the last time I saw you, you had two sticks. Mm. Today you have one stick mm. because your legs are so somewhat better. How the heck can you be teaching that and doing your seminars and, and, and still um, be needing the support of a stick? Yeah, it's quite, quite painful. But at the same time, um, you've got to keep active. You've got to be actually doing something because otherwise you end up just being a sick person and feeling sorry for yourself. So I'd much rather be active. I'd much rather be doing something. So because you are recovering from an injury that, that's been around for a long time. Uh, 14 surgeries, three knee replacements, um, two complete leg rebuilds, six severed quadriceps, um, very bad infection, three months on... Um, intravenous and antibiotics. Yeah, you, you could say I've had a quite a rough time. And by profession, mm. you're a full-time martial arts teacher. Yeah. I, I don't get it. I mean, you've been through all this adversity, but you mm. haven't stopped working. You still do what you do. Yeah. I, I suppose, really, yeah, if you do martial arts, you develop that kind of mind. Um, just, it's just a mindset. Yeah. yeah. And um, well, give me an example of, you know, the way you would connect the martial art mindset to overcoming adversity that you've been struggling with okay yeah very very briefly if you if you're going to train the mind and i think if you do martial arts the mind becomes the most important thing uh, useful is this is martial wide um discussion yeah but actually i mean we actually do begin with the mind so when a student first comes in the uh qualities that you need of your mind first is to be aware um, for awareness, you've got to be able to breathe deeply, get more oxygen into your blood, comes to your brain, makes your mind more aware. 
as you know, if you slump in a chair and you kind of um, breathe shallowly, you just want to fall asleep. Sit up straight, breathe deep, and you, <laughs> and you feel much brighter. I'm sitting up straight now. I forgot that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, posture, breathing, makes your mind more aware. But having an aware mind means it could be going everywhere, so you need to be able to focus it. To focus your mind, you need exercises um, that will make you um, sustain your uh, concentration. Um, in Chinese, we call this nei gong or inner work. Right. Um, so your mind's got to be aware, focused, uh, sensitive. Um, so you have to sensitise your mind to the, all the inside of your own body, which again is part of the nei gong and the qigong um, exercises. And um, if you understand your body, when as soon as you touch somebody else, you will be able to, what they call tingling, you'll be able to listen to their um, energy and understand their balance and so on as well. Uh, and finally, you need intensity, because to have an aware, focused and sensitive mind is fine, but if it can be disrupted easily... Um, emotionally that's not going to do you any good so intensity then becomes a very important part of it but you can't have intensity really till you've got the other bits otherwise intensity gets in the way of the learning the other bits see i don't know whether to admit this now because this kind of you may have to go to court to get a restraining order but do you know on facebook you can have your selected best friends so their news feeds always come up first well you're one of mine uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it's hit me there. It's better than being shot. Gosh. Um, and, uh, I, I, you know, for somebody to follow on Facebook, I heartily recommend you because the you, you, majority of posts tend to be satirical and funny. Mm. Um, some of them uh, are to do with your classes and whatever that you yeah. teach. Idiotic uh, and rude, I'd have said. Yeah, yeah, some, some, yeah, some, yeah, some of them are uh, But you, you said something a while ago, I was a post you did a little while ago, that I found really, really profound. And you talked about um, the fitness industry and the self-defence industry, mm. um, trying to engage with people that haven't got anything wrong with them. Yeah. You know, that have any, 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 any sort of disability. Mm. Now, you've just talked about having a mindset that you teach mm. that has helped you overcome, you know, the, the, the disability, you know, that you've experienced the last... How long is it? Uh, 2007, I had a bilateral knee... First okay. bilateral knee replacement. So you've, you've, talked, you've talked about that, uh, that focus helping you overcome it. Mm. Are you telling me then, you know, that martial arts is truly for everybody and that no matter what is wrong hmm. that it, it can be used no matter what age because from what I see that the martial arts industry and the self-defence industry is all about engaging with people who either want to overcome a fear hmm. or sitting on their arse doing nothing but it excludes people have had a disability or yeah. you know need to overcome something just to get out, get through the door. Mm. So you, you're telling me it does it, it does work like that. It is truly for everyone because uh, think I think the way to look at it is you can look at martial arts as a coping mechanism for life, and uh, life troubles you if you don't develop yourself. So effectively. Um, we all will undergo some kind of illness, sickness, emotional problems, bereavement, uh, grief, things that interfere with our life quite a bit. Uh, and if we, if we don't have a coping mechanism for that, we're liable to uh, basically just fall apart. So I'd say everyone needs 
some kind of certainly mind training but part of mind training you can't separate mind and body you've, you've got to train the body to train the mind and you've got to train the mind to train the body I know you can't take yourself out yourself exactly but <clears throat> do you think you would have dealt with the adversity that's been thrust at you with, with the leg situation um, mm. in, in, in a worse way had you not been you know had this insight yeah. to martial arts yes yeah, certainly uh, I, it's difficult to say because I did do martial arts from quite a young yeah. age you know so it's, it's hard to say what I would have been if I hadn't have done martial arts but effectively um, it most definitely helped me I mean there were times that I was in so much pain um, that uh, terrible sort of anxiety particularly when I had a really bad infection and I literally nearly died a couple of times from the infection and um, you know that was quite a troubling time and the drugs themselves that I took the uh, antibiotics and so on really messed my mind up and so one part of my mind is saying you know you're going to die and, uh, all that kind of stuff but there was one other part of my mind that knew that wasn't right and that was the part that I developed that was basically saying don't listen to that you know sit tight wait it'll pass so you started at an early age with your martial arts fairly early age yeah what, why uh, um, basically because my brother started okay um, how old were you uh, First introduction to the martial arts was around about 16, 17, but I'd say really serious training was 21, something like that. Just because your brother? Yeah, yeah well, um, I'm 63 now, so basically my very early years were in the 50s and the 60s. In the 1950s, no one had ever heard of Kung Fu or even karate. You know, they knew of judo, so really um, I grew up on a South London council estate. Um, and judo was always the little old oriental guy would be able to defeat the big guy. Yeah. You know, and there was that kind of mystery to it. Um, was that something that attracted you? or I wouldn't say it attracted me at the time. I think what, what happened was when the first Japanese instructors came over um, in the, the mid-1960s, my brother started training um, with Tetsu Suzuki hmm. when he first came over. And... Um, 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 what you've got to remember is in those days, I'd never seen an Oriental person. I mean, growing up in yeah. South London in the 1950s, never ever seen that. So there was a kind of mystique. And um, for me, personally, it was the uh, calligraphy. All right, okay. It was the right. The I looked at the, well, yeah, kind of looked at the right, and it was exotic, I suppose, yeah. really, would be the word that I'd use. And that kind of lured me in. Some people I talk to, they talk about necessity of forming part of their discovery of martial arts mm. or their need for martial mm. arts, that they, they grew up in a tough neighbourhood mm. or, you know, um, people are bullied um, or they, they went, you know, to, like I say, support family members or something mm. like that who had been mm. bullied. But it, it, it was the art form that drew you in. Yeah, I mean, as I said, I grew up in quite, I suppose, what you would call quite a rough area. It was a South London Council count estate. I was a little bit of, I suppose, what you'd call a street urging. Um, so I was kind of used to everyday violence and so on around at that time. Um, but I can't say that particularly bothered me. Uh, mm. And I didn't know any different anyway. Um, I was saying the other day, I was poor, but I didn't know I was poor. Yeah. Because in the 1950s, you didn't have all the adverts for all kind of yeah. computers and games. You just went out the street and played. and, and Ball bearing guns, and, things like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just sort of. I'd got into a few scraps and fights and 
gangs and stuff like that. But I, to me, that was just normal life. There was nothing there that disturbed me or made me sort of, you know, think oh, I've got to go and do this or learn this. But I've got to say, you know, the, the idea of when my brother started in karate, just the whole Oriental thing was mysterious. There was a mystique to it. When Bruce Lee came along, there was the violence aspect to it. But I can't say that that was the thing that really hooked me. Mm. It was when David Carradine came along with okay. Kung Fu. Yeah. Um, the, the, the idea of the Shaolin Monastery, the Buddhism. I looked at that. That was exotic and mysterious. Uh, and my family was an uh, atheist family, so we didn't have any mm. religious background. Um, so uh, my father was a commando in the war and a prison officer. So yeah, normal, tough guy kind yeah. of thing. Um, How would you describe your religious outlook now? Atheist still. You're still an atheist? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, but then Buddhism is an atheist's religion. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, the idea of the Shaolin Monastery, the mystique, I, that made me search out Tai Chi. Um, and my first Tai Chi. You, sort, you sought it out? Yeah. Was that because you felt there was a, a, a something that the karate side yeah. wasn't satisfying? Well, or? By the time David Carradine came along, I was the second day in black belt in the karate school. The karate school I did was a very fighting-oriented school. Yeah. And um, I thought by the time I got to black belt, I wouldn't be so angry. But I was more angry. Really? You know, and... You know, my, my, my father was one of those, you know, if he gets on your nerves, give him a slap. You know, that was, you know, and if I ever come home and said I'd been hit by someone, um, he would throw me out of the house and not let me back in until I'd hit them. It was that kind of yeah. background. And I thought, you know, by the time I got to play Bell and Karate, I'd be in command of my emotions and I'd be this, like in um, judo, this little oriental guy who was cool. But I wasn't. I was more angry. Uh, I never wanted to do cares or forms. I only wanted to fight. Uh, and there was that kind of burning intensity. Were you using the black belt and the lessons that karate taught you outside? Were you, were you, I know a lot of people have been doing door work and security. security. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was in the fire brigade from 69 to 71. Okay. When, I, when I came out of the fire brigade in 71, I started working in the security trade. And I did all manner of different kinds of security work. Did a lot work for a lot of different companies. Um, and I ended up as an operations manager of a um, security company in charge of about 500 people. Um, so I'd kind of, by that time, I'd done everything. I, I'd got my HGV from even doing cash in transit. I'd done bodyguard work, door work, factory guards. Um, I'd set up a load of contracts for the firms and companies. Mm. I did a lot of training um, uh, of uh, personnel in arrest, restraint, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I'd had kind of a quite a full career in, in martial arts, but I was, going back to that time in 71, I'd, I'd come out of the uh, fire brigade, um, got into the security trade. So, uh, yes, I was encountering violence, um, and I was a, a normal kind of, you know, if it gets on your nerves, give me a slap. In those days, we didn't have all the phone cameras, so yeah. you just turned off the cameras on the door. And, you know, <coughs> um and that was the way that you dealt with The good everything. old days. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I suppose so, I don't know. Um, but uh, it was still, it was the Buddhist aspect and it was the Shaolin Temple that kind of appealed to me most. Is, is that, did you have a QED moment? Because you, you talk about being angry. Because, uh, um, again... It... I had a desire to, 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 
I had a desire to have no desire. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, mean. I wanted to. Um, I wanted to learn that side of it, and I sought out a Tai Chi instructor. My first Tai Chi instructor was a guy called Simon Wired. He, in those days, was like David Carradine. <clears throat> He sort of lived on people's couches and sofas and carried all his possessions on his back. and So he was kind of what I was looking for. Yeah. And um, he was he was very good with me. I'd go early, we'd do pushing hands, we'd talk martial arts. Um, uh, I, I was learning his Tai Chi. How did you find him? Chuck, I remember. I think it was just an advert in a paper yeah. or something. Or an article or something like that. Um did you get okay once you started doing the Tai Chi part of it? Did you become well, le- was it like when you started to become less so, angry and more focused? Well, coming to that QED moment, what happened was he bought me a copy of the Tao Te Ching, okay. the translation by Guang Feng and Jane English. And to be honest, I, I, I kind of bunked off most of school. I didn't really go that much. I wasn't that interested. I failed all my exams. Um, so uh, reading a book was a bit of anathema to me at the time. Uh, but when, the moment I opened the Tao Te Ching, it was just like I understood everything in there. And um, it, that was me. That was what I was looking for. And that led me on to searching out Taoism, Buddhism, Zen monasteries, uh, Buddhist monasteries, meditation. And it led me on a long path where I went into a lot of all the different healing methods, um, studied all the pagan methods, Wicca, ritual magic, anything that I could get my hands on, really. Anything to do with uh, how the mind works, energy, and so on. Yeah. So, alongside, I was still doing um, karate at the time. By that time, I was with Tori Takamizawa, I was studying Wadaru, um, but also doing tai, tai Chi alongside it. How would you. Um... Four plus Iaido. Um, I'd started Iaido at that time as well. Uh, with uh, Okimitsu Fuji um, and uh, Jodo um, and did some Wing Chun Jiu-Jitsu and just about everything else. So at that point you became less angry? Um, yeah. Did you, your personality yeah, change? Yeah, most definitely. I'd say by 1976, by, by 1976, without a doubt, at that time, I was a complete reversal of what I was. Was that... Was, do you think that was attributed directly to... Your journey in martial arts, mm. or was it mm. was it because you were you know evolving as a person, getting a little Both. bit older? Well, I think one creates the other. You know, so it was through the martial arts that I came to um, study the mind and Buddhism and Zen. Um, so therefore, it's martial arts that led me into that that path. Um, a lot of, I think, a lot of my development in the martial arts has come from outside the martial arts. So by studying uh, brain mapping, the way the brain works, by studying uh, body work, um, shiatsu healing, reiki, uh, meditation, healing groups, um, and so on. So a lot of that came from outside. Um, so putting that together with what I was learning in the martial arts, I had some very good martial arts instructors. Uh, Toru Takamizawa was my main um, karate instructor, Akimitsu Fuji, um, did you fall lucky with these, or did you actually seek them out like you did with your t- Tai Chi instructor? Uh, I sought them out, really. And then when I started Kung Fu Tai Chi with Jimaglo, he took me to Hong Kong to train with the Yang family. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've been very, very lucky with my instructors as well. 
but you were proactive in, in oh, yeah, creating yeah, that. Yeah. Well, it's always both, isn't it? You go out and search, but you could always end up down the wrong path. So there's always an element of luck. And actually being able to listen to guidance as well. If you go to an instructor, you need to listen to them and you need to pay attention and try and understand the way their mind works and, and what it is that they're actually trying to say to you. How do you differentiate then between somebody that's got worth something worth listening to as a novice student and against somebody that test it, test it and test challenge it? it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, our our training system works very much on we use mnemonics to remember everything. We use um, allusion in that everything we do is is a layered pro- pro- progress, but validation is how it is actually tested. So I think any knowledge that you have, if you don't test it, you don't know whether it's true. Um, So really what you've got to do is when somebody tells you something, if they're worth listening to, listen to them, but don't be afraid, I mean, to challenge it in the right way. So if you don't understand, you must question, um, and then you need to be able to test it and make sure it actually works. At what point did you stop being a learner and start being a teacher? I think I've always been a learner. Even as a, a, a teacher or instructor, I don't see myself in that role so much as um, someone that shares. I think if, if you think of yourself as a teacher, you tend to put yourself on a pedestal away from the students. I think you know, like when you go out to train, you go out with your mates and you go, hey, have a look at this and try this. And so I think if you look at it more as sharing... Um, you're part of the group yeah. as opposed to separate from the group and the learning experience is much, much better. What is it that you want your students to share from you that come and study with you? Yeah, so we, when, when I put together my training system, I started from what do I want my black belts to be? And that's how I came up with I wanted, I wanted the mindset has got to be right because really the thing that determines a black belt is not even necessarily what they can physically do. That will be validation of their mindset. But if they don't have the right mindset to begin with, so therefore I knew I had to develop a mind that was aware, focused, sensitive, in, in, able to be intense. And out of that, I needed that, that mind to be able to be put into a range of movement and techniques. So I knew we had to begin with the naigong, the inner work, the qigong. We needed to teach them how to breathe properly, good posture. They needed to open the joints, open the tissue, so that they could move more easily and more freely, more balanced, more powerful. You know, they were the principles behind. That gave me eight principles um, to start to work with there. Yeah. And out of those principles came the techniques, which would be punching, kicking, locking, throwing, strangling, choking, and so on. Um, therefore, I'd start from what I wanted my black belts to be able to do, and then layered it backwards from there. Most people, ironically, do it the other way around. So if you go to most instructors and you say, how did you put your training syllabus together? They would have sat there and gone, right, for white belt, I'll get them to do this. Red belt, I'll get them to do this. Yellow belt. And then when you look at most training syllabuses, the basics don't match the forms or the cat. Mm-hmm. And the basics and the forms don't match the pair's work. So they'll do totally unrelated basics to totally unrelated forms to totally unrelated pair's work. And when you start training, you think, well, this must come together at the end. <laughs> and often it don't. And even when I talk to the instructors and I say, 
okay, so what do you want your black belts to be able to do? They actually can't answer. Or the answers they give are just rubbish. So you said it's a Stephen Covey thing, isn't it? Start with the end in mind, one of his highly successful habits. So you, you, if that's what Stephen Covey yeah, says. That's, yeah, which is what you, you, you envisage your students to do. Yeah, well, because you've got to know where you're going to. You know, uh, So you need to start with an end product. I mean, it's like if, you, if you're going to sell something, if you're going to sell a washing machine, you wouldn't say, um, I'll start, I'll put that in there and I'll put a switch over there and you know, the thing's got to be able to wash clothes. Mm. You know, and then you've got to work backwards from there. How long does this... Um, OK, you've broken this down. You started with the end in mind with the, the process, and, mm. and you've, you've defined those elements of the process. How long does this process take to become a black belt? Well, that's a little bit like how long is a piece of string? It depends on the person. It depends from the point that they start from, the kind of person they are, what it is that they need to achieve, the amount of time. That but they I, can I can go online these days mm. um, with reputable people and undertake a, a course of X amount of lessons and know that I will be of a standard at the end of that. Mm. D- is that not the case? If- Depends what they're selling you and what you're buying. You know, uh, it, the whole thing with martial arts is uh, all the schools that exist exist because that's what people want. So an awful lot of people want to do something on a Tuesday and a Thursday night and it could be... Um, barn dancing or it could be martial arts it actually really doesn't matter that much as long as they're, it's a good social group of people they're all quite, quite don't waste much heat <laughs> I thought sorry I thought Master Ken was doing another okay. yeah, yeah I, so therefore that's all a lot of people want, those people actually probably wouldn't come and train with me Yeah. You know, so those schools exist for those people, so you know, if you thought that you could go online and do some training and get to black belt. It's pretty obvious that you're not, you've not got the kind of intention that you would have coming to me. Um, and if that's what you want, uh, I don't see anything wrong with that. Why do people come to you? What, what, what are they seeking? For there's different types of people will come to me. First of all, I've got a normal club, a normal dojo, and there are people that will come to that club because it's the nearest club. Um, and they'll come and train, get what they want, and come and go, and so on. Out of those will always be some people that will come along and then look at the system, look at what we're teaching, and go, that's what I want. Um, but it won't necessarily be that many in that club. But I do get a lot of people that will travel. So there are a lot of people that will read the stuff I've written, um, that might look at my DVDs or some clips of something I've done online, and they will search me out because what I teach resonates with what they want so a lot of the people that will come and train with me are very senior martial artists um, that have been doing martial arts and maybe good uh, guys in Denmark and Czech were great sports martial artists the guy in Denmark uh, was a national karate coach for Denmark the guy in Czech was a national karate coach for Denmark, uh, for Czech Republic, but he was also a chief. Of, well, he was a, originally a police self-defence instructor. Right. He's now a chief of police in the Czech Republic, but um, they use my self-defence system um, in the Czech police. And um, the guys that were the president's bodyguards over there wanted to come and train because they wanted to learn my system. So most people that search me out and travel tend to be uh, high-grade people who have seen or read something. Um, that I've written and come to me and then obviously there are people in the local clubs as well. Do you, do you think you've finished learning and the system that you've developed 
is as good as you want it to be or is as good as it could be or do you feel that in time it will evolve more or do you think there's a, a natural involvement process where things come to, I change to a truth? It. I literally change every day. I mean, I, I'm always learning. Uh, and anyone that knows me knows, well, you've only got to read my Facebook page every day. There's always something new on there. I've always found something or seen something. I'm interested, you know, and it will range from something to do from either politics to religion to meditation to kung fu to martial arts of any kind to even someone doing a funny dance. Um, but actually, even the guys I put up doing a funny dance um, the other day, they were absolutely brilliant. I mean, mm. when you watch them moving, there's a lot to be learned from that. Mm. So uh, I'm learning all the time. Um, I think because my system is principle-based, the principles won't change because they're probably about as good as I can get. But if I find another one, I'll definitely include it. Um, but the, how I put it across, how I teach it, and my own knowledge, even within those, changes all the time. Um, I've got a final question. I'm going to ask you the fi- same final question I did when I interviewed you last time and give you again my time machine. Mm-hmm. Um, but before I do that, there's uh, people in front of me. Um, I, I welcome questions for Steve if you wish to, to ask. Anything particular that's... You, you mentioned um, after karate you went and sought out Tai Chi. Mm. Was it specifically Tai Chi or was it Kung Fu or Tai Chi that just ended you found Tai Chi? Um, I was, if I'd found a reasonable form of Kung Fu, I might have even gone with that, but it, it just happened to be Tai Chi. And I think Tai Chi was the contrast because it was soft. And my brother had been doing some Tai Chi as well. So my brother had gone, was doing Wadaru Karate with Tatsu Suzuki. Then he did Goju with Steve Morris when many years ago when Steve Morris was in Earlham Street. And um, then he trained with Chuking Chuk, Hong in Yang Tai Chi so uh, that's I kind of had a base from that so you had some prior knowledge of Tai Chi as opposed yeah to I'd seen him doing a bit of Tai Chi and a bit of broadsword and stuff from there and I thought yeah hello and as I say when I saw David Carradine and was watching that that was I think the thing that drove me there yeah anybody else with that yes please do you find that now the level that you've got to you have to be very careful about whether you'll seem to endorse certain people or products or systems? Um, I don't know about seem to be careful, but I am careful. Uh, so there are a lot of things I don't endorse. There's a lot of places I don't go, and there's a lot of people that I don't talk to because I can't see a point. Um, so uh, it's not kind of... I'm not worried about my reputation. I mean, that's crap anyway. <laughs> Um, but it's good with me. <laughs> <laughs> Only because I shot you. Exactly. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I mean, I think that there's a lot in the martial arts that I, I wouldn't endorse. There's a lot of things I'm asked to endorse, a lot of places I'm asked to go, but I know they want my name attached to what they're doing, and I'm careful to not allow that to happen. Um, but then there are other people in the martial arts that other people say, oh, why do you have anything to do with him? You know, but I like them, they're my friends. I mean, to me, friendship is very important. And if you look around me, all of my students and friends, a lot of them have been with me for 35, 40 years, 20 years. You know, and I think when a lot of people say, oh, you know, the martial arts are terrible, the people are terrible, I always say, well, actually, everyone I know is really good. 
You know, and everywhere I go, most of the seminars I do, I've been going to the same places. Um, and in the Czech Republic, we've, I think it's 25 years this year. Um, and um, I think Denmark is 15 years, something like that. Um, and most of the courses that I do around Britain, most of them are places I've been going to for a long time. Most of the private lessons I give are people that have been training with me for a minimum of 10 to 15 years. So, you know, I've got a good group of people around. I'm quite happy with that. I value friendship. I value relationships with people. So, um, I, you know, in, integrity is a good word because um, it means your, your training system must have integrity. You know, the weakest points must stand up. And I think in your relationships with people, it's the same thing as well. And um, if you have that kind of integrity, um, most of the idiots stay out of your way. <laughs> I think most of them are scared of me, actually. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Any more? Yeah. Please. Um, I've found, like, obviously you said you've researched the healing arts and things like that, how that sort of layers into how you approach your martial arts, if you would, like, because Drake is obviously, like, the opposite of, like, Tai Chi energy in the martial way. Mm. Drake is, like, energy using the healing way. How do you find that sort of... Yeah, I think actually it all fits because in a way um, your common sense is something that's common across all fields. So um, we were saying on the seminar to, to today that the only reason that we have a brain is because we move. You know, plants don't have brains, trees don't have brains, so the function of a brain is because we have to move, we therefore have to anticipate things. And it's that anticipation is, is the basic function of the brain. And I think once you get to see how the brain maps things, how it anticipates things, um, is, is how you will act or react to things. So in the martial arts, very much so, when something comes into your personal space, how you're going to react to it is what you're training. But in the same way, even from a healing sense, when we were talking about Reiki, um, and this doesn't take any of the magic out of it. You know, when your hand goes close to something, you anticipate touching. Therefore, you get the feeling of touch. So when you put your hand close to something, your brain's all, already touching. Therefore, the energy that you feel actually is your energy. It's not the other person's. It's your energy anticipating touch. And for the person being healed, it's the same way. They're anticipating you to touch. So they, their, their brain is already um, saying... You know, and, and if it's a person that doesn't trust or doesn't... You know, I, 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 they, they won't feel anything because their brain's already told them not to anticipate anything. But if you anticipate being healed... Um, then your your body will start to react in a way that you're being healed. So I think what what a lot of people don't realise is that you know it's still got that magic, yeah. but it's it's not that you know you're channeling the chi from the universe into what it actually is is you're both you're both anticipating the healing to take place, and if you, a person's body is able to heal itself um, by encouraging it to do so, um, it's a very positive act and it's the same thing with like no touch knockouts and yeah. <laughs> pressure points and, and so on if you think it's going to hurt it's going to hurt yeah really it's the same thing you know pressure points never work on me because I, I, 
I know that I can say, well, that ain't going to work, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It never ever does, you know. Um, and I think really that's just, and, and that I got mainly from the study of brain mapping uh, and understanding what the brain actually does, which areas of the brain um, respond and how they respond. And, and all of a sudden you get like, ah, yeah, no, that makes sense. So, yeah, it's kind of common sense, but not so common <laughs> in some areas. Oh, yeah, but I think Reiki is a good thing. Yeah. Um, uh, if, you, uh, if you understand what you're doing and why you're actually doing it, and in the same way, actual touch, massage, and all that kind of healing um, can function extremely well because humans naturally touch. It is a, a kind of a, a, a tribal type thing. You know, we're just like monkeys, you know, um, you know. We need that kind of touch, communication. Uh, and if somebody is left in a solitary state, they can get quite anxious and quite ill. Um, and just a hug sometimes, or even with a child, you know, mummy rubs it better or puts a Rupert Bear plaster on it and everything's well in the world. Works for me still. Magic sponge. <laughs> Magic sponge, yeah, no, it's... Uh, yeah, but, you know, so uh, that's quite quite sort of natural to us so yeah i'm an advocate of, of all kinds of healing and such healing and massage but um i'm not i'm not channeling some kind of ancient egyptian god or something you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny because you, you read you read medical you know scientific medical research that shows the unequivocal benefits of the placebo effect mm-hmm. Uh, and you know they give you the pill that you think is going to work for you, mm. and they can measure the the improvement mm. of it because you think it's going to work. I mean, if you take all the stuff aside and you know the mythical bits and bobs, there's something in there that actually does work that we can't put our finger on, but we can tap into. Well, I think a lot of um, limbic system therapy can work extremely well. The, uh, uh, the function of the amygdala in the brain and the way it affects the limbic system um, can actually work extremely well. It, when you understand how your mind or how your brain works, then you, therefore your ability to be able to make that work inside of your body. Um, and if you've got the uh, aware, focused, sensitive mind to your own body as well, the, ma- the mind is, is a very powerful healer. And this is what you've used on your leg? As much as I can, yeah. yeah I mean, some, sometimes, I, you know, very briefly, the surgery I had in my leg in 2007, the surgeon was negligent. And um, all of the quadriceps severed. So I, I had six severed quads that went up into my groin, and they were there for five years before anyone realised what had happened. So then when they tried to rebuild my legs and stretch withered muscle down... Um, that didn't work either and um, subsequently it got infected and so on so sometimes you know you can't you can't alter what is physical facts yeah but you can do the best of what you can with what you've got any other questions shall I ask my killer my time travelling machine offers you the ability to go back um, and talk to yourself as you were a kid and wish um, pass on some words of wisdom um, that you've derived since then. Yeah. Um, you have the choice of whether to use it or not to use it. Mm. And if you do use it, what 
short words because I mean it's expensive to run a time machine so I can't keep you back in the past for a long time what short words would you whisper in your ear take the blue pill not the red one take the blue pill (laughs) (laughs) Steve Rowe it's been a pleasure thank you very much for everybody who's been in here as well talking to you today I wish you well thank you thank you